Hey, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? All right. Wow, the liveliest crowd of all. Okay, I love it. Well, hey, welcome to Grace Church. Like we've said, uh, we've never met before. Uh, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, would love to hang out with you and chat with you after service. I'll be taking a nap on the couch over there. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know why I said that. Maybe that's my desire at the end. But um, I'll be hanging out in the cafe. Come say hey, and um, that'll be cool. So. This weekend, like we talked about, we are uh, fin- we're actually finishing up a series on Jesus over my pain, which is part of an overarching series that we've been through for a little while now, which is Jesus over all. So it's the idea that Jesus, that we see in the scripture, and we see in Colossians, that Jesus over all things. Like what things? All of them, okay? And so all things, but we're going to get specific on things that he is over, like the topic of pain. And so this weekend, we're going to finish up on that. And uh, if you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to go back and and check those out. But by way of reminder or refresher, um, I'll just highlight some of the ones that we've done before. So the first one we did, pain. Okay, so we talked about pain, and then we talked about regrets, and then we talked about anxiety, and then today we have the awesome opportunity to talk about bitterness, okay? And so I am not bitter at all for being chosen for this sermon, but uh, that's what we're going to talk about today, um, bitterness. And so Excited about that a little bit. And um, I don't know about you and your life situation and your perspective, but from my perspective, if you're a human being, then you probably know and have experienced bitterness before, okay? So you probably have, more than once, probably. And so, uh, but for the sake of clarity and for the sake of definition, let me just put a definition I found that I thought was helpful on bitterness. So bitterness is unresolved, unforgiven anger and resentment. It is the result of anger changing from an experience to a belief. Bitterness is seething and constant. Bitter people carry the same burdens as angry people, but to a greater extent. Okay, I think I heard someone say, hmm, when when I read that second line, and I agree with you if that's true, because that was probably the most insightful part for me, that idea of um, it's the result of anger changing from an experience to a belief, because if you've ever experienced that before, right, and I'm sure you have uh, a tension or a confrontation or something like that, you have this experience that you've experienced, uh, what are you going to do with that? Okay, you have a couple options of what you're going to do with that. Uh, is it, you're going to allow that to create tension and uh, lingering bitterness for you, okay? And sometimes we do. And then it turns into a belief that we believe right or wrong about ourselves, about others, and about God. And so the question's not, what uh, will this happen to you? The question is, what are you going to do when it does happen to you? When you do experience bitterness and when you do have these roots of bitterness coming up in your heart and in your mind. And so... Will you let that, uh, will you just let it go unresolved? Uh, will you just brush it off like nothing happened? Uh, will you let that one experience linger and, and turn into something that you fully believe about yourself, others, and God, right or wrong? Or are we going to deal with that stuff, okay? And so what I want to do today is I want to go to just this kind of a wild narrative in the Old Testament that I think really addresses a lot of the like, cause and effect of unresolved bitterness, and I'd like to walk through with us. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Genesis, okay? So we're going to be in Genesis. Uh, that's not verses. Those are chapters, okay? So we're going to be in Genesis chapters 25 to 27. Uh, I promise you we're not going to read all of it, though I did consider that. So um, although this is the third service, so maybe we could just do that. Um, but I won't because that's going to take a long time. But what we're going to do is we're going to see this narrative that 
pretty early on in the scriptures, there's other narratives before this, but uh, bitterness seeping in to the relationship and the family of God's people. And so if you have a Bible physically or digitally, please get there because it's not going to be on the board because it turns out it's a lot of scripture for, uh, for a TV. So I'm going to have my Bible and I'm going to read it out loud for us. And what we're going to do is we're going to read a couple big chunks. I'm going to fill in the gaps along the way. Okay, so chapter 25 to start out. So uh, we're going to be starting in verse 19, but as you're turning there, what's happening in, verse, in chapter 25 leading up to verse 19 is right at the beginning of 25, Abraham, this guy Abraham, he is dying. He's on his deathbed. He's leaving most of his things to his son Isaac, who continues the spiritual family line that ultimately is going to lead to King Jesus, okay? And then we're propelled into the family line of his family. So this is it right here in verse 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the, Ar- the Aramean, from Padan Aram, and sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Do you know what Esau means? It means hairy, okay? So the naming conventions are pretty simple here. They just call it as they see it. Um, And then chapter 26, or verse 26. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So his name, so he was named Jacob. Do you know what Jacob's name is? Heel grasper, okay? Pretty straightforward. So Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. So his dad loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he's also called Edom. Guess what Edom means? Uh, red. So there you go. I don't know why it's funny to me, but there you go. So his name's Red and Harry. All right, so Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Okay, so he despised his birthright. So hopefully already, we'll pause there for a second, but already can see the stage like being built and set for bitterness, which we're going to get to some of that in a moment here. But in the meantime, um, in this break, there's just really like um, some other things that happen. So uh, we'll, we'll get back to the Esau and Jacob story, but there's some weird things that happens with Isaac and some other people. And uh, he does some dumb things and then the Lord works through him anyways, which sounds like my life. But then in chapter 27, which we'll pick up on, what you start to see is that Isaac, now he's getting old and he's on his, going to be on his deathbed. And so he's getting weak and he's getting old, hard of hearing, hard of seeing. And he tries to pass the birthright and the blessing to Esau, the son that he loved, the oldest son. 
But his wife, Rebecca, finds out and helps Jacob, the younger son, uh, snatch up that blessing instead. Okay, so that's where we get to. So basically, Isaac is like, hey, Esau, get my favorite food for me. Go catch some of my game because I love you because that's what you do for me. And then Rebecca's like, hey, Jacob, quickly take this food to your dad. Get yourself all hairy because uh, that's your brother. He's hairy. So make sure you are like him, you know. And then uh, he takes the birthright and the blessing from his father with deception and hairiness. Okay, so uh, all that. So that's where we pick up right here in verse chapter 27, if you want to pick back up in verse 30. So after this, after everything I just said, Isaac finished blessing him. And Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I am, I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he has taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. So Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When Rebekah was told that what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said to him, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him, I'll send word to you to come back from me from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Okay. That was a lot. There's a lot going on there. And of course, there's even more things that happen after that. But what ends up happening is the brothers, they don't see each other for many, for many years, for a long time. And so um, what we're going to do now is we're going to look back at some of this narrative into some key points that I think we'll see uh, in regards to bitterness, some key things that we could even reflect on. Okay, so that first thing that we see, that I think we see in this scripture, is the neglecting of God's plan and how that could result in bitterness. So... In, ver- in chapter 25, verse 23, it says, The Lord said to her, she was praying for a baby and praying that that would happen, and then they were jostling about. And so she, the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from with you will be separated. One people, one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So it's like the Lord himself prophesied the strife and the tension that would, un- that would unfold between two nations, but also these two brothers. And the older one would serve the younger. And so either uh, you see how the story progresses. And so either somewhere along the way, 
the family just kind of forgot God's, God's plan and his prophecy altogether, or maybe because of ego or pride or favoritism, personal agenda, whatever it might be, they didn't like what the results were in this. They wanted, uh, you know, obviously there was some favoritism in there. They wanted Esau to be the one who had the blessing and all that. And so they tried to put some of the things in their own hands. And so this could certainly create bitterness uh, between person to person or person and God. Likely, you've seen this kind of scenario in your life, okay? So think of it this way. Um, Somebody is gifted by God, okay? Think of a person that's been gifted by God in a certain way, and it's noticeable to you, um, and they're doing the things of God in a certain way, and it makes you angry, and it makes you jealous and envious, uh, or maybe that's happened for you. God's using you a certain way. And maybe you've like taken that to God and you're like, God, why is this person gifted and not me? Why are you using this person and what about me? And so we direct that bitterness to others and to God himself. And to the point where we never confess those things, we never talk about them. And that leaves us bitter, bitter about God and how he's dealing with us and with others. And so neglecting God's plan, um, that could be a way of creating bitterness. Next, we see uh, favoritism, like I mentioned. So in Genesis 25, verse 28, it says right here that Isaac, the father, um, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Pretty shallow right here, okay? But there's clearly favorites. Jacob loved Esau. Uh, why? Because he could hunt very good and, cook and get food for him, right? So maybe he really loved himself and his appetite. But, he, but what, either way, he's like, I love Esau. That's my guy, right? And then you got Rebecca. We don't know why she loved Jacob. Maybe it's because she remembered the prophecy, remembered that that's how it's going to go down. I'm not sure. But either way, any time that you see favoritism, there is an increased risk of bitterness being involved, Uh, Thinking about the last point with neglecting God's plan, could it be that favoritism played into that? See, it's really easy to see those ramifications in here with these children and with children in general. So I'm thinking about my own life here. So I have four kids, okay? My two olders are boys and my two youngers are daughters. And my wife has called me out more than once, I'll admit, um, for having more empathy and more grace with my daughters than with my boys, okay? And so that's just, I don't know. I have a soft spot for my daughters. I'm not sure, okay? And so she's called me out on these things and I've seen how that can create bitterness over time with my little boys, with my young boys. And so we can see it even in that scenario. Favoritism can just breed those kinds of things. And then we can see immediate gratification. So there's this idea of immediate gratification. So if you recall in chapter 25, 29 to 34, where Esau is just so famished that he's like, look, quick, give me this stew. I need this or I'm gonna die. I'll sell you whatever. I just need this. This instant gratification, he just needs it right now, no matter what the ramifications are. Okay, this is especially contextual for maybe for our Western American culture, um, immediate gratification. We all want it. We all often feel like we deserve it. And so we look at Esau, and I don't know if you're like me, but when you read this story, you look at Esau and you're like, how ridiculous. This guy is giving up like familial status, social status and inheritance for lentil soup. Like, bro, get real. Like, this is crazy. And so it's easy to look at that and be like, yeah, that's ridiculous. But... Let's think about it for a second, okay? Have you ever been in the Starbucks line more than five minutes, uh, people waiting for their coffee, okay? So that gets ridiculous too. And so you look at Esau and like, okay, 
I can understand it. I've been in the fast food line before, and I've seen how people react, right? You know how people get when they're waiting for their fast food or their caramel maki whatevers, okay? And so we love this instant gratification. When we don't get it, sometimes we get desperate, and then that creates bitterness. We can see how that creates bitterness, which leads us to believing a false reality. And so that immediate gratification, lingering in the bitterness, leads to this believing a false reality. Check this out in chapter 27, Verse 36, Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? So this is when the blessing was uh, taken, right? This is the second time that he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Okay, is, is that true? Is that the full story? So this, of course, speaks really well to the definition we put up earlier on bitterness, on an, an experience leading to a belief, Okay, so Esau, he had this experience, okay, and this led to a belief that he was wronged, okay, that he was the victim of this thing. What's going on here? Esau's believing a false reality. He straight up lies, but he believes that lie. He, he tells his dad that Jacob stole his birthright and therefore his blessing, but the last we checked, because we just read it, he traded all that for lentil soup, for lentil stew, whether that was a fair trade or not, there's still some complex, weird things in there. Like, either, like I don't think either was right, but nonetheless, a, a trade is a trade. He put an oath to that. And so we got to internalize that as well. So maybe for you and for me, what false realities are we believing in? See, one of the most dangerous things about unresolved anger and tensions is that we almost always and too easily drift, from, drift towards remembering ourselves as the good guy or as the victim. There's nothing worse than being uh, mad at someone for so long to realize that actually it was me that was the one who was immature. It was me that the one that was selfish and uncontrolled in my anger and my emotions. And this could have been resolved weeks, months, or years ago if I would have just come to terms with that. But instead, I let this fester, this bitterness fester and linger, and I believed a false reality about myself, another person, or about God. And that experience speaks loudly. And I've experienced that myself before as well. And so bitterness, it's tricky. It is a hard thing. And so this, this bitterness uh, we've all experienced is like, it's like a plant, okay? So think of this analogy. It's like a plant that springs up and takes root in the ground. And the more you feed into it, the, and think about bitterness, the more you feed into bitterness, the more it takes root, the more it grows deeper and deeper, and therefore the harder and harder it is to uproot and to unearth. And so it's no wonder that the Bible itself uses that as an analogy and as, and as an example. And no less the very same example of the scriptures that we just walked through. So check this out. In Hebrews 12, it'll just be right here. Hebrews 12 says to do this, to make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root or root of bitterness grows up into you, grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau. And it's kind of a hit on him, right? Like, don't be godless like that guy we just read about, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, we do, we just read it. When he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. You remember that scene where he's just weeping and crying and getting this rejection? Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. 
Okay, so he couldn't change what he'd done, and he was bitter for it. And so this passage, by the way, is right in the context of looking, if you're a follower of Jesus, like looking at your faith in Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of it, and not to grow weary in doing good things, not to grow weary in following after Jesus as a disciple of him, not to be weary of allowing yourself to think through and uproot the sin and bitterness that we have and, that, and to do that work that we need to do. And what we see here is that in this passage right here, we see the result of bitterness and what could happen. And what we see here is that bitterness chokes out any physical or emotional ability to live peaceably among others. It chokes that all out, to live peacefully among others. And therefore, it hurts your holiness, and therefore, it hurts your witness as a follower of Jesus. It's going to hurt those things if we allow bitterness to keep hold of us. Rooted bitterness is going to choke out any ability to show grace to others. Rooted bitterness defiles not just us, but many. It defiles others. You may have heard it said before that um, bitterness is like taking a poison and expecting the other person to die, right? You may have heard that before. And that's it. It doesn't just cause trouble with you. It does, but it also defiles others around you, but it's also just consuming you as well. And some people, they'll hold bitterness for far too long and far too long until it's too late. Maybe you've had that before. You've held bitterness of this person and you found out that maybe they passed away and it's too late to reconcile that relationship. Don't wait that long to root out the bitterness that we have that causes our hearts to grow weary and do those things to us. The sweet thing about Esau and Jacob though, which isn't mentioned in Hebrews, He only gets the negative light of things, which is a bummer. But in Genesis 33, verse 4, we see that the brothers eventually reunite after years of not being reunited. And what happens? Well, Jacob's scared because last he recalled, like, his brother wants to kill him, okay, because he's bitter about the things that happened. But what happens? Esau, it says in verse 4 that Esau runs to, to Jacob, throws his arms around his neck, kisses him, and weeps. Why is that? Maybe he realizes false reality was exactly that, a false reality. Maybe he was weeping because he let so much time go that didn't reconcile the relationship. And now here they are reconciling the relationship after years of just letting that fester. So let's think and reflect for ourselves for a second some more on this, okay? What, if any, roots of bitterness, and it probably is not just one root, what roots of bitterness might you have in your heart today? Uh, what have you let fester for too long? And here's some examples from my life because honestly, I didn't think I, I was prepping for the sermon. I'm like, I'm not really a bitter person. I don't have a lot of bitterness, but then I have a wife who tells me differently. So I was able to, I was in my office, like talking to her and she's like, well, actually, what about this? And I'm like, okay. So she's a little more emotionally intelligent than I am. So uh, thanks wife. Okay. So root of bitterness, um, here's what came out. Uh, divorce. So my parents, they divorced when I was three. Uh, and it's easy to say to myself, oh, that's, that was when I was three. Doesn't affect me at all. And, and I do say that. But again, I have an emotionally intelligent wife who corrects me and lovingly says, no, I, you got some stuff to work on. I'm like, okay, you're right. And so it's true. I got stuff to work on with this kind of stuff that happened how long ago, okay? And that stuff comes up sometimes. And if you don't deal with it, it'll continue to come up. What about failure? Failure. Even uh, have you ever been bitter um, at yourself or at others for failing? It could be something small like a simple task 
It could be something like a job, uh, maybe failing at a relationship, whatever it might be. You've had this experience of failure, never uprooted it, never took care of that root of bitterness, and now it's festering and it comes back time and time again. We gotta deal with that. What about being wronged, okay? Um, Have you ever been accused for doing something that you didn't do? What did you do with that situation? How did you handle that? Have you handled it, okay? Is that yet another root of bitterness that is still lingering in your heart and in in your heart and in your mind? That is something we got to work through and work with. Um, Rejection. What about that relationship or that thing that you gave your all for and it's just constantly met with rejection, rejection after rejection? That could cause this root of bitterness in you and in me. It could be something more serious. It could be abuse physically uh, or emotionally or, uh, or anything like that. So um, is there a root of bitterness that you have from uh, abuse that you've experienced physically or emotionally that needs to be uprooted, that needs to be dealt with? And what about insult? Um, You've heard it before, like the sticks and stones break my bones, but words never hurt me thing, you know? Um, That is a total facade that uh, basically what you're saying is like, I'm going to be tough right now, but I'm going to cry about this later and be mad at you forever, okay? That's what that is. And last night when I was preaching on this, in that moment when I said that, I recalled a memory and I just blurted it out to the whole congregation. And so I'll share it with you again. Literally, I was in that moment and I was like, oh man. I was six years old at my neighbor's house. There's a fence, there's a playground. Someone said that I was being tough and I went home and cried. And I'm like, so that's me. Do I have bitterness? I don't know. I need help. I got to deal with this stuff, okay? And so that just came out like last night. Um, So there you go. And so we've all been there. We've all been there. We've had some of these things happen. We've had some of these times where we've been able to deal with them well. We've had times where we've never dealt with them. And we can't, but we can't let that root of bitterness take hold of us. So, So what else is there? What else is there for you? Uh, I'm not you. You are you. You know what roots of bitterness you have been feeding into or not dealing with. And and you know what is really almost unfair about uh, a sermon like this is you likely came here with like fresh spiritual and emotional band-aids on from a hard week of work and family and personal struggles and all that. And I'm just safely yet slowly up here trying to rip those band-aids off you and tell you to look at those wounds again, okay? And so that's like kind of unfair, and some of you will just put those band-aids right back on and, and, and before you leave and go on with life as usual. After all, uh, we're like a bigger church. You know, we have uh, limited staff, limited resources. Other people have their band-aids they're trying to put on before they leave too and all of that. And so you don't want to burden anybody. And that's certainly the easy and actually the socially acceptable way of going about our pain and, and our bitterness. But I want to challenge you and myself as well to not just let that happen, to not just put those band-aids back on, but to actually lean in to your church, lean into your community, lean into prayer, lead into God's word and his people and the resources that he provides. And for some of you, arguably, you need some more than that. Maybe for some of you, you do need counseling, okay? I recall uh, going to seminary and I took a counseling class and I'll never forget. I'm like, man, this class is so good. Everybody needs counseling. And I was like coming to our staff. I'm like, guys, y'all need counseling. And then I was like, I need counseling. Okay. And so I did counseling and it was amazing. And so on top of discipleship, we sometimes need that stuff as well because sometimes we can't uproot these things on our own. And those are things are okay to pursue. 
And so as your church, we want to help you pursue those things. We want to help you with those things. We want to pray with and for you. In community, we want to lead each other to root out the sin and the bitterness that we hold on to so tightly sometimes alone. Uh, We may not do it perfectly, and likely you already know that, but we need to try and do that anyways. Try to resolve these things together. The question, though, is how do we go about resolving these things? Can we go about resolving these things? Well, I think the Apostle Paul says something really simple and really straightforward, but at least simple conceptually. So here's what Paul has to say. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32, he says, get rid of it. Okay, pretty simple. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. So I say simply, uh, simple conceptually because it, it's not that easy, right? And it's not that easy to just be like, oh, I have bitterness. I'm just going to not have that anymore. Like, I, duh, we've probably tried that. It doesn't work that way. So I don't think Paul is really trying to say that exactly. Um, I think we would have a lot less conflict if that were true and able to happen. But I think what Paul is saying here is this. I think he's saying that we need to do whatever it takes to get rid of these things. Do whatever it takes to get rid of these things. And what's it going to take to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, and so on? It takes actually working on it, not just disregarding it, not just like if you look at this and think, oh, I'm just going to get rid of that. No, that thing comes back. You got to work on it, okay? So to dig into the plant analogy further, it's going to take some digging. It's going to take some time. It's going to be dirty, okay? It's going to take some work to uproot those bitter uh, roots that we might have. Some of those are going to go down really deep. Some of them aren't so deep yet, but we got to do that work. we got to uproot it. And sometimes we need help uprooting those with, from others. And so furthermore, it's going to also take putting the time to prayer, the time to asking the Lord to say, Lord, search my heart. What is unholy in me? What are things that are not of you in me? What is this bitterness that I'm holding that I didn't even know was bitterness, but it keeps coming up because I keep being angry at that person for that thing that happened a long time ago? And taking that time to uproot, to dig, and not just to uproot and dig, but to replace that with something else, to replace our bitterness, replace our anger with something else. Well, like what? I think Paul says it, replace it with being kind, with compassion for one another. Replace it with forgiveness, just as Christ God forgave you. So we got to replace it with those things, with the fruits of the Spirit. And the Spirit will help and guide you to do that. So one of our elders um, of our church, he's been discipling for a little while now. And he's one of those guys that just like drops wisdom on you on accident, okay? And so like it was a couple weeks ago and I was like, hey man, I'm gonna be preaching on bitterness. Do you have any help for me? Please help me. And so uh, we just had like a five minute conversation and he just dropped more knowledge on anything I've ever studied in my life. And I was like, that was only five minutes. I've been studying hours for this thing. And so there's something I wrote down that he said, I thought it was really helpful, really crucial. He says this, we only have so much emotional reserves in our tanks. Let us not spend all of that on bitterness. You see that? Let us not spend all of that on bitterness. For some reason, we like to just linger in our hurt, in our pain. And sometimes we should to, to uproot it, right? We should do that to uproot it, but not to give it more root, not to give it more depth. And so we only have so much emotional reserves. Don't spend it on bitterness, Paul says, get rid of that. 
Do whatever it takes to get rid of that. You don't need that in your life. It's not going to produce the things in your life that you want. It's going to produce death in you, and it's going to hurt others. It's going to create you into a bitter person. So yeah, that's really wise. So I'm going to invite the band up, and I want to give you a resource, okay? And so I actually just found this book out like a week and a half ago, and uh, I read it really quick, but it turns out it's pretty good, okay? So um, there's this book that I found. It's called Overcoming Bitterness, and so um, I read it really quick. Um, I'm not justifying that I don't know if this is a good book or not, but I thought it was really good, <laughs> but I read it really fast. But the one thing I thought was really super helpful in this book was it had this little chart at the end. It had a lot of really great things. This is um, from a biblical counselor. And so he has that really good perspective on these things. But he has this concept of changing sinful bitterness and being able to like just sit down as you're in the uprooting process, okay? As you're in the uprooting process of uprooting the, the roots of bitterness that we have, do these things. Put off the core beliefs that we believe about ourselves that are wrong, that are not true, that false reality idea. Put off those desires that we have that are not of God. The desires that we maybe have of like, man, I just, I don't like that person. I'm just going to be mean to that person because they were mean to me. Get rid of that. Get rid of these bad thoughts that we have, these words, these behaviors. So literally write those things down and then put on instead, replace the anger, the bitterness, the reality of what we might have and put on instead the things of God, the fruits of the spirit, those things. And the most important piece of all of this is the gospel, to replace those things with the seed of the gospel. See, it's not a book or a sermon that's going to help you get through any of this um, or wishful thinking about putting on morality or anything like that. It's the gospel. It's a story and message of Jesus. Again, Paul leads us there. He says, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. So why replace bitterness and rage with kindness and compassion? Because that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. And for me. And so we have to replace the root of bitterness with the seed of the gospel in that way. Think about it this way. Like, can you imagine if God was a God that held bitterness towards us? Think of all the things that God has forgiven you of. Think of the things that you've been forgiven of. What if God held that against you forever? Okay, that, that's not our God, and that's not what he does. And therefore, as people who are following after Jesus, that's not who we are either. We need to be people of love and forgiveness. And we can't do that when we don't deal with these roots of bitterness that we have. We gotta do that work. We gotta uproot those things. And so if you've never experienced that forgiveness from God before, then I would encourage you to seek after him. Give him your pain, your guilt, your shame, your anxiety, your bitterness. See what happens. Give it to a community of believers for the first time. See how they handle that with you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never given someone else that glimpse of the character of our Lord, then I want you to reflect on that through prayer and scripture reading and maybe in community to root out that bitterness that you have that is preventing you from expressing the love of Jesus and forgiveness to others. Replacing the root of bitterness with the root of the gospel will empower you and me and our church to be people of love and people of forgiveness. Let's pray about that. Jesus, you are so good to us. God, thank you that um, despite how often we uh, refuse or neglect um, your plan uh, and your will, Lord, yet you still love us, God. God, despite all of the roots of bitterness that we just love for some reason to feed into and to grow out, God, you still love us. 
And, and you don't love us in a way that's like, oh, we come to Jesus and now our whole world is beautiful and flowers and great and awesome. There is some of that. But God, you meet us there and you say, hey, you should deal with that thing. And so Lord, maybe for us, we have that thing, that root of bitterness that we need to deal with and that you are lovingly calling us and disciplining us to look at and to uproot. And maybe we can't do that alone. And maybe we need our church. We need our community to do that. God, I pray that we would just come to terms with that sooner than later, Lord. That we wouldn't forfeit relationship and reconciled relationships because of bitterness. I pray that we wouldn't forfeit our ability to love and forgive others and to provide grace and kindness and compassion because we wanna hold on to these things that create bitterness out of us. Lord, would you help prune those things in us? Would you help us be people of love and forgiveness just as you have been and continue to be and always are for us, Lord Jesus. And we pray that in your name, amen.